Hi everyone, it's Penny here. I have got the privilege today of giving our sermon. It's really great that you're with us. Uh, I hope everything is going well. So today I thought I'd start by telling you a story about my family. We have a tradition that happens every single year at Christmas. Now, once the dining table has been cleared of all the obscene amounts of food that we get through, space is made for the annual family jigsaw. Now, this over the years has got more and more elaborate and complicated. It's a new jigsaw every year. Often it's a present that someone's given my mum. It's gone from 500 pieces to 750. I think last Christmas we made 1,500 pieces. Um, And it gets spread out. It takes several days. Uh, Some years it's lots and lots of colours. Some years it's black and white line drawings with lots of white space. They're actually harder. But every year, two statements are said without fail, regardless of the type of jigsaw that the straddling family are attempting. The first is that someone will be holding the box lid with the whole picture and they'll have one individual piece and they'll spend five minutes studying them both. And then they will declare this piece does not fit in this jigsaw. I've looked all over the lid. The manufacturer has made a mistake. This is an extra piece from a totally different jigsaw. That's one statement. The other statement that comes is someone will have found several pieces, put them together, but there'll be one missing in the middle. And they'll spend time scouring all the carefully arranged pieces that are spread out across the rest of the table. And then they'll declare, there's a piece missing. The manufacturer's missed a piece. This brand new jigsaw that's come straight from the factory has a piece missing because I can't find it and I know exactly what it should look like. It should be yellow and blue with a bit of a stripe right through the middle. It's not there. That statement is also said every year without fail for the last 30 years. So there's two things. There's either a bit that shouldn't be there or there's a bit that's missing. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought I so often apply that to life as well. I think either Something has happened that absolutely should not be part of my story or something's missing. The manufacturer, God, has forgotten to provide me with something that would make all the difference right now and everything would make sense. I don't know if you resonate with that at all. In normal life, I think this is the case. And in our current situation, I think that's just made even worse. And all these questions and this disorientation and this confusion can just leave us with a slight sense of anxiety and panic because we think we know what the big picture should be and sometimes it just feels like the pieces don't fit. Well, today's scripture reading is of two people who I think felt exactly in that situation. This story takes place on the evening of the resurrection, so it's Easter Sunday night, and it's two of Jesus's friends walking away from Jerusalem, confused, despondent, and not having a clue how the different things that have happened could possibly make sense. If you've got a Bible, you can read along, or you can just listen as I read it now. We're in Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. 
He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then the eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Like so many stories in the Bible, I am always just left with way more questions that I wish the writer had put more details in to answer all my many questions. For example, who's Cleopas? We've never heard of him before. Who's he with? Um, how long had they been following Jesus? Had they, had they arrived only a few months before? Had they been around for the full three years? Where are they going? Is Emmaus the end of the line or are they going further on somewhere? Who are these people and why did they get their story told in the Gospel of Luke? Well, some of the Bible experts have asked these questions as well. Some people think Cleopas's friend might have been his wife. For some, it might just be a traveling companion. Emmaus, we don't even know where it is. It was such a small little village uh, that it could well be it was just an overnight stop before they went back to wherever they were from. But whatever we know about them or don't know about them, we do know that they had been in Jerusalem the previous week and they had seen all that had happened to Jesus as he'd been arrested, crucified and put to death on that cross. And this had led them to only one topic of conversation. I don't know if you're like me. Every conversation you have these days is about one thing. It's like nothing else has ever existed. And it's a bit like that for these guys. This was all that consumed their mind. It was the whole world. What had gone on? How did this make sense? How did all the pieces of the puzzle fit together? Surely this was not what was supposed to happen. 
And because they were so intense in their questioning and their discussion, they didn't actually realise that the subject of that discussion was now walking alongside them and having a conversation with them. And this verse occurs where it says, they were kept from recognising him. Now, it doesn't tell us really what kept us, kept them from recognising him, but I wonder if it was because their focus was so intensely on the questions, the disorientation and the confusion that they missed the bigger picture. So that's why I want us to start today. I want us to think about the question, what is it that keeps us from recognising Jesus? Jesus is right there with them and they didn't see it. For me, um, God's still at work today in everything that he's doing. But I find I too often am focused a bit more on the problems or the anxiety that rises up with this current situation. And it, sometimes I have to stop, at take myself off for a walk, put on worship music, commit to praying or something for me to be able to refocus and say, actually, Jesus is here, but I was kept from recognising him. So what we need to do is we're going to pause for a second. And I just want you, if you're with somebody to talk to them or think on your own, what is it that keeps us from recognising Jesus and what he's up to today? So back to the story. As these guys are wandering along the road, they're joined by Jesus and he asks them, well, what are you discussing? And their response is, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? Now, I love this because it's just so ironic that people are asking Jesus, the very centre of that weekend's activity, whether he knows what's gone on. If anybody knows what's happened that past weekend, (laughs) that would be Jesus. But instead of pointing this out to them, in his usual generous and gracious manner, Jesus gives them the space and the time to pour out their confusion, their disorientation, the things they'd hoped for and how it had all gone wrong. And he listens before he responds. And one of the things they'd said was, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, what's fascinating is that that hope was completely right. He did redeem Israel, but he didn't do it in the way that they expected. They'd expected a great military ruler who was going to kick out the Romans, set everything right, deal with the religious leaders. They did not expect that redeeming Israel meant ending up on a Roman cross, being executed as a criminal. And what made their confusion even worse was that the women had now come back from the tomb declaring that Jesus is alive. Now, in first century Jerusalem and Israel, women's word was not to be taken as fact. Women weren't allowed to give evidence in a court of law. They were just not seen as that trustworthy. You can imagine my views on that. So when the women came back from the tomb and it says the men then went to check, the men came back saying, we, we didn't see Jesus. So for these guys traveling on the road, the really trustworthy people, the men, hadn't seen it. So how could it possibly be true? But then why would the women start making this up? Just added to the confusion and the fact that this is not what was expected. If someone's died, 
they usually don't come back from the dead three days later. Now, I wonder what our expectations of God are at the moment and whether, if we really ask ourselves, they're what God is going to truly do or whether actually they're just things that we'd like him to act in a certain way. For example, I, like many people, have been praying that COVID-19 would just miraculously disappear off the face of the earth, that we could go back to whatever normal is, um, that we could be with our friends and family again. But what I've actually found in the last month is that those times when I've said, God, where are you and why aren't you doing what I think would be a really good idea? I found that actually I felt Jesus closer to me than ever before. I live on my own, but I've been anything but alone. And I've known the closeness of the Holy Spirit in a whole new way in this past month. It's not what I would have expected And I still don't quite know why God doesn't miraculously cleanse the world of COVID-19. But I do know that God is up to all sorts of things. But often it's our expectations that mean that we miss it and that we don't see it. So we're going to take another pause. Just so you can think about the question. What are you expecting of God today? And could it be that God is doing something far bigger So this journey was starting to come to an end. It would have been about two or three hours of walking in the heat and the dust. And the sun is about to go down. And so these guys invite Jesus in. And it's as they sit and eat with Jesus, as he breaks the bread, finally it clicks for them who it is that they are sat with. It's something about welcoming and eating with Jesus that showed them who he truly was. Now, as I've been thinking about this, I was like, what is this thing about welcoming people and eating with them? And it struck me, we only ever eat with people who are our friends. We don't tend to take people out for dinner who are complete strangers if the intention isn't that they then become our friends. And the reason that we eat with people and the reason that we spend time with them is because we want to commit to that relationship. We want to engage with them. And every culture in the world throughout history, I think, is the same. It's always about wanting to deepen a connection and deepen a friendship. What's remarkable about this story is it's not just them eating with Jesus. It's Jesus eating with them because Jesus also wants to connect with us. He also wants to deepen his relationship with us. He also wants to spend time with us. And what happens to these guys when they do that, when they welcome and they eat and they spend time with Jesus, is that everything changes in a moment. It turns out that spending time with the resurrected Jesus changes everything. And we see the immediate effect on these disciples. Despite the heat and the two to three hours they've already walked and the dust on their feet, they leap up and they run back to Jerusalem because the news that they have just can't wait until the morning. The pieces had come together. Suddenly it all made sense. What they'd heard from Jesus on the road, what they'd seen in Jesus as he broke that bread, 
it suddenly all clicked. The women were right. The story was true. Jesus was back from the dead. And I think there's two other things that we can see that dramatically changed for these guys when they got that, when it all clicked in their heads. The first is a renewed sense of courage. Now, I think part of the reason they were leaving Jerusalem that morning was because Jerusalem was probably not a very safe place to be. We read earlier on that the disciples had locked themselves together in the upper room for fear of the Jews and the um, Romans. Because if you were a follower of an executed criminal, you never quite know if they might also come for you. But these guys have leapt up from their dinner table in Emmaus and run back to Jerusalem, a place of trauma, a place of fear, a place where they could be next. Because actually they've got renewed hope and new courage and a new story to tell. The other thing that I think this story teaches us is that they went back to a new community. They met with certain people. They went back to Jesus's other disciples because actually the other thing that this news changed was that they were now linked permanently to this group of other witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And this community was designed to live by this new story. Jesus being resurrected had changed everything and it gave them a whole new purpose and story to live by. Now, everybody lives by a story. Some people call it a worldview. It's where we get our values and our meaning from. It's how we make decisions and it what connects us with each other if we live by the same story. So in the Roman world, the story went, the emperor is the son of God. The Roman Empire will bring you peace and security, the Pax Romana, they used to call it. If you obey the emperor, commit your lives to the emperor and do everything you can to be a good Roman. This was backed up by the biggest army the world had ever seen. But the problem was that if you weren't on the Roman side and you were a slave or one of the conquered people from around the empire, like the Jews, then actually this wasn't a good story for you. And all sorts of people have all sorts of stories today as well. There's the one about celebrity. I am worth more if I'm in magazines or on the telly. If I get loads and loads of likes or clicks or retweets, if I don't and nobody likes that post on Facebook, then I've actually got less worth. Some people live by that story. Another is the tribal story where we say, my tribe is better than your tribe or my nation is better than your nation. And if we could just get rid of the people who are bad, that could be people who look different, come from a different place, believe a different thing, refugees. We've seen it over the past few years. If only they weren't here, my world would be brilliant. My nation would be better. My family would be better. My town, my church, whatever it is. All of these are different stories that people choose to live by. But this story that these disciples now followed was one that was utterly different. This was one that said, life is more powerful than death. Love is more powerful than hatred. And it bound these group of people together. So with new courage and a new story, they were ready to now live Easter every single day. And the way that they learned their story and the way that they got that story into every part of their being was that they spent time with Jesus. 
because spending time with the resurrected Jesus changes everything. It can change our worldview. It can change everything. So my question to you is, what are you going to do with this story? I would love it if inspired by these two guys or Cleopas and his wife, whoever they were, on their trek to Emmaus, I would love it if seeing the change in those two from depressed, confused, head down, walking away to enthusiastic, courageous, energetic, I would love for us to get as excited about spending time with Jesus and as transformed as they were. Now, I don't know how you find spending time with Jesus. People do it in all sorts of different ways. The important thing is that it's us committing ourselves to spending time with the one who can change everything. Some people like an early morning sitting in silence before their family gets out of bed. For others, it's worship music. For others, it's creativity. I once talked to a lady, um, she was in her 80s, and she told me that her practice for spending time with Jesus was that at the end of each day, she would pull up a chair next to her and she would talk to him about her day, imagining that he was sat in that seat. She said at first it was slightly awkward and quite a short conversation, but over time, as she learned to listen as well as to talk, she said it absolutely revolutionised her life because she was spending time with Jesus and everything changed. So imagine if all of us were doing that. Imagine if all of us were being transformed from the inside out to this new courage, to this new story that we live by. Imagine what that would look like in your family, in our church, in our town, in the world. Imagine the power of us, all of us living by that story. Just imagine what a difference that would make in small ways, in big ways, as more and more we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Imagine that across witness and what that would look like. All because we can see and we commit to spending time with Jesus because we know that that changes everything. So I'm going to finish by praying for us uh, that we would be able to put some of this into practice this week. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your people who are part of Transform Witness. And Lord, I thank you that you long to spend time with us. You long to commit time to us. You long to us to know you better. And I pray this week, Lord, that you would help us put down the distractions, that you would help us make that time available, that we would come close to you, that we would welcome you in, we would eat with you, and that we would come to realise that spending time with you, the resurrected Jesus, changes everything. Amen.